us and to pray for those who abuse us. In short, he says it's not just enough to to love those who like you or to love those who are particularly lovable. He says we must love those who are the worst, those who, who are mean, those who have challenged us. Not only are we to love them, but in action, in deed, we are to show them that love in full display. Just as Christ was kind and gracious to his enemies, us, just as he has loved us, even though we are unlovable, we are now to go out and to live in that same way. Now again, clearly, these are difficult commands. In fact, I think I confess to you, at least on one occasion, that in my own experience, there are times where they seem almost impossible. You know, even if I'm able to, to do these things outwardly, trying to reconcile the, the truth of this to my heart, to say, okay, heart, you have to forgive, as we're going to see today. You, you have to love truly this person that, that has been awful, this person that, that you don't truly feel that love for, to, to reconcile those things is difficult to do. And so we said that, that that difficulty often has led people to try to water these passages down, to, to try to reinterpret them in some way so that they become a little bit more palatable to us. But friends, the reality is, is this is as straightforward as we can get it And so there's no way we can twist this, that we can turn this to make it say anything other than than what Jesus says here. It's hard truth. It's, It's truth that digs. It exposes us. It's truth that hurts not just our toes, but our hearts. It hurts our pride. And so that difficulty has also led to a second response. And that's, this is why I begin here this morning, because I don't feel like I've done a good job over the last few weeks of addressing this. But not only does it lead us to, to try to reinterpret these things, but if we take these words seriously, they often can lead us to despair. It's just the reality. We see our lives. We see the great gulf that exists between the reality that we live and the words that Jesus calls us to And we can't help but cry out like Paul, confess along with him, I am the chief of sinners. We can't help but say as he does in Romans chapter 7, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? Instead of joy, we often leave these passages overwhelmed. We leave them with hard questions, feeling discouraged. Friends, let me remind you that, that while Jesus certainly, he certainly means to expose us here. There's, there's no way around that. He means to, to show us who we are. He never intends to leave us without hope. He is always, always guiding his people to look away from themselves. And to look where? To look to, to him. The one who is that Alpha and the Omega. The one who is the beginning and the end. Yes, the vast majority of us are colossal failures in most of these areas. But he is not. He did all of these things perfectly. He has fulfilled them all. He is the spotless Lamb of God, the King who offers us salvation, who offers us his righteousness. 
And so, friends, if you have come away from these lessons with despair, then in one, on the one hand, I say to you, praise God. On the other hand, I, I, I encourage you, I implore you, flee to Jesus. If you read these words and you see your life and you say, I can't do this, run to Christ. If you read these words and you say, I have failed every day in this, run to Jesus. That is, that is the point that he is getting us here to. Just like the Ten Commandments drove us to, the, to Jesus, like they were a schoolmaster that taught us these words of Christ, do the same. And so I encourage you today, don't run away. Don't, don't shy away from these hard truths. Don't, don't try to get around them. Read them as they are. Look at your life and run to the Savior. Run to Jesus. Now, with that in mind, let's turn to this passage that's before us. If you remember back to the end of the passage that we saw before there in verse 36, Jesus says, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. And so we said that, that the reality is, is as we look at what has been done for us, we are to, to live that out in the world. We are to, to grant mercy in a way that is so countercultural, that's so different than the world, that, that it is obvious our lives have been changed. And what he seems to do here for us today is give us some examples of how that mercy should be shown. He said, all right. Go show mercy. Go show it in a radical way. And here are some ways that I intend for you to do that. And so in these verses, he gives us two negative examples. He says, hey, don't do this. And then he gives us two positive examples. Go and live this way. And so I want to take those two pairings together. I want us to consider what Jesus has to say. So first here, he says, judge not. He says, condemn not. Now, in many ways, I feel like those two, judge, judgment and condemnation, they, they are two sides of really the, the same coin, right? One certainly leads to the other, but let's begin with judge not. Now, I don't have to tell you that this is a verse that, that is so often taken up by those outside of the church, right, and used against God's people kind of as a weapon against us. You know, we go out into the world... And we call sin, sin, as, as God calls us to do. We're going to see that here in just a moment. But we do that, and they say, well, hang on now. Didn't Jesus say, judge not, lest ye be judged? You, you, can't, you can't tell me how to live. You just have to live and let live, because that's what Jesus has said to us. And we need to ask, is that the intention that Jesus has here? Is that, is that what he's trying to say to us? We, in no circumstance can make judgments on the world or make judgments on the reality of people's lives. I don't think that's his intention. First, just consider the, the various callings, the vocations in our lives that call for judgment. They're vocations that the Bible affirms. You teachers, uh, you, you uh, civil authorities, you managers, you've been called to make judgments about people's lives, right? That's part of Part of your life, that's what you do. And, and God, Christ, he affirms all of those callings. Think inside the church. We have rulers, we have elders and deacons, right? We have officers. Uh, part of the session's calling 
is to administer church discipline. Now, we don't, we don't think about that very often, and rarely do, if ever, do we do it. But that is a, a viable, a biblical option that the Bible gives us, and it is under the authority of the session. Now, that is going to require judgment. But even as, as individual believers, as those who have been called to a royal priesthood, as we are priests under the great high priest, even us, we are meant to, to hold one another accountable as the church, right? We are, are meant to, to make judgments about the sinful world that we live in and to call sin, sin. As we said last time, letting sin go unconfronted it's a failure to fulfill what Christ calls the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. If we see it and we don't at least show people the reality of their lives, then we have failed to do what Jesus has called us to do. Now let me give you just one biblical example to, as proof of this. If you go to Galatians chapter 6 and look at verse 1 there, I want you to stick your finger in this for later on, okay? He says, Paul says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. Okay? Now we're going to stop right there because we're going to come back to the rest of that verse. What's Paul calling us to? He says, look, as church members, if anybody in the church is living in transgression, obviously and openly, then try to lead them back. Show them the reality of their lives. Show them their sin and try to lead them back. And so the reality is, is that judgment it can't be just universally gone. It can't be universally wrong. That's not what Christ is intended here. So what is he saying? Well, the second command that he gives us there in Luke chapter 6, I think it gives us some clarity. He says, condemn not. He says, judge not and condemn not. What Christ is concerned here, as he so often is, is with our hearts. Is with the attitudes of our hearts in judgment. You know, our problem is that so often we judge others out of anger. Or worse yet, we judge them with joy. There's a fine distinction there, but I hope you hear it. Often we may judge someone because they've been wrong to us and we, we are angry. So we make judgments. But too often today, we judge with a sense of joy. We are glad to do it. We want to see people get what they deserve. We want to show them how bad they truly are. And so we speak and we are callous. We are harsh. We criticize. We blow everything out of proportion. In short, though we wouldn't admit it, too often our intention is to condemn. What I'm about to say is, is hard, and, and I'll be honest, there's going to be, there's certainly Christians that will not like what I'm about to say, but too much of the church's interaction with the world right now falls under this category. Too much of what we are doing in the world to unbelievers falls under this category. There is no love in our judgments. There is no mercy in our words. Truth is, is we only want to condemn. Think about that, that guy or that girl that's living a homosexual lifestyle. 
Think about that woman that is marching in a woman's right to have an abortion rally. Think about that person who's struggling with addiction. That thief. How, how forgiving, how merciful do we feel to those people? I love what Philip Ryken says. He says, when we act that way, when we treat those people that way, he says, this is not the way that Jesus taught us to treat people. And when we do, it should not surprise us that they want nothing to do with the gospel. Now look, this is a fine line to walk. But the truth is, is as we look out at the world, what we should see is souls that will never die. Souls that will spend an eternity somewhere. And if they are living in sin openly, unrepentant, then they're going to spend eternity in hell. And that should break our hearts. It should break our hearts. And so as we go out, we have to be careful. Christ is not universally dismissing judgment on the behalf of his people. But friends, what he does say here, it should make us slow and cautious to do it. It should make us slow to go out and to judge as freely as we seem to want to. Because notice what he says there. First, he reminds us that as church folks, we're not the sweet little angels that we all want to make ourselves out to be, right? That's the point of that familiar illustration there in verses 41 and 42. It says, why, why do you want to remove the speck in your brother's eye, but you don't see the beam, the log, in your own eye? Notice that the problem is not that we see the speck in our brother's eye, because later he's going to say, hey, come back and get that out. The problem is that we can't see ourselves. We criticize, but we never seem to see our own glaring faults. We, we've all known that person who, who seems to always have something to say, but they can't seem to, to see their own lives. I've been coaching 12U baseball for a while now, and I've figured out with the boys that they may be that way. <laughs> You know, their errors are made, and they can see those faults, but they have trouble seeing their own faults. The reality is, is I have that trouble, too. I'm I'm really quick to see the the faults in other people, but see it in my own life, life, it's, it's more difficult to do. That's why the world, that's why Jesus here, don't miss what Jesus says. Wow, that's why they call us hypocrites. That's why Jesus says we're hypocrites, because, friends, we are. We really are. When we go out and we try to change everybody without first seeing our own faults, we've missed the the point. We've missed the the beam in our eyes. The truth is, is if we spend as much time repenting of our own shortcomings as we should, then we would have very little time to judge and condemn someone else. If we spend as much time repenting of our own failures as we should, it would certainly make us more compassionate. It would certainly make us more merciful. It would certainly make us look out at the world and fall on our knees in prayer for those that we see. We would be quick to empathize with the faults and the failings of others. Yes, we as the church, we may be saved. But friends, may we never forget that apart from Jesus, we're just a bunch of sinners. And if my life is any indication of the, of the whole, 
then we're wretched sinners. So let's not judge too harshly unless, secondly, he shows us here, we are prepared to use that same standard on ourselves. Because remember, he says, don't judge lest you be judged. Don't, Don't condemn unless you be condemned. He says there, the measure that you use is the measure that will come back on you. Now, what's the point here? As Ben said, it's not a meritorious, it's not a one-on-one correlation, because if so, we would all be in trouble. We would all be condemned, right? His point is that our attitudes towards judgment, they reveal the truth of our hearts. It shows how much we truly understand the gospel. Our attitude towards judgment shows how much we truly appreciate what Jesus has done for us. Do we understand the gravity of sin? Do we understand what happened at the cross? Do we understand that empty tomb? If we do, then friends, it's going to make us slow to judge others. It's going to make us see ourselves in reality. Our attitude towards judgment, it shows much about our relationship with Jesus. And friends, it is that relationship that will condemn. It is that relationship, or lack thereof, that will judge, okay? And so we need to to understand uh, that a day of judgment is coming. And on that day, the one who has every right to judge, who has every right to condemn, he will do so. And so our first concern shouldn't be the sin and judgment of others should be the question of our own sin. Have we truly repented? Are we truly resting in Christ? Only then, if we can say yes to that, only then should we look to others. And again, even then, we should do it hesitantly. We should do it with caution. And so, that's the the negative commands. Judge not, condemn not. Very quickly, I want us to see the two positive commands that he gives us there. First, well, it's forgive and give. Now, the first thing that we're faced here with is the reminder, once again, that that it's not enough simply to just withhold the, the bad things from the world, from the people that we come into contact with. But what Jesus has for us, what he calls us to, is action. What he calls us to is to actively live and work and participate in people's lives, even, even our enemies' lives, even people's lives that, that we don't necessarily like or that are not Christians. He goes, he says, go out and first forgive. Now again, Ben's reminded us of this, but let's be honest. Is there anything harder than true biblical forgiveness? It's, there may be things as hard, but I don't know that there's anything harder I hear people say all the time, I can move on from this, but I can't forgive. Or they'll say, I can forgive, but I can't forget. Think about that person who has truly wronged you. Think about that person who has not asked for forgiveness. Think about that person who weighs on you day in and day out. How easy is it to forgive that person? 
Now look, some of you have experienced trauma and pain at the hands of others that, that we can't even begin to, to understand or even begin to speak about. And, and please, hear me say that I am in no way dismissing that. Even more importantly, hear me say Jesus is not dismissing that. He takes account of it all. He sees it all. And he says he is going to set it all right. So there's hope. There's hope in that. But he's also calling us to forgive. Again, as Ben reminded us, it's a forgiveness that we, if we are resting in Christ, have received. That means not, not just moving on, but it means truly forgiving. It means letting go. It means separation as far as the east is from the west. That's what God has done for us, right? He has forgiven us and he has truly forgotten. Again, this is a command that shows us the extent to which we understand the forgiveness we have received. And again, it's not easy. He didn't say it was going to be easy. It's hard. This is what he calls us to. Secondly, there he says, give. Uh, give freely to whomever is in need. As we saw last time, even if it's your enemy, even if they can't repay, even if they don't deserve it, give because that is what God has done for you. The most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen. God so loved the world because he did what? He gave. He gave his son. Romans 5. Christ has shown us, God has shown us his love by giving us who? By giving us Jesus, even while we were enemies. Jesus, who doesn't give our sins what they deserve. Judge us here and now. But he, he, he offers us forgiveness. Jesus, who doesn't condemn us where we stand, though he has every right to do so. Jesus, who instead, through the giving of his body and blood, through his perfect life, offers us complete and total forgiveness, salvation, and eternity with him. All of his benefits, heirs with, with Christ, heirs to God, access to the Father. That is giving that is extravagant. That is giving that, that is just poured out on us. Now he calls us to give even in that same way. Friends, again, we're, we're going to get out of this passage here next week. We get into more kind of palatable things. But I don't want to leave this without feeling the, the full weight of what Christ calls us to here. These are hard words. These are words that, that are, are way on us in a way that few do. They are Christ's words to us. This is the way that his people are called to live. And so the question to us is, are we living this way? And when we're not, are we looking to Jesus? Are we looking to him all the time? Are we resting in him, the one who did live these things out perfectly, so that you and I may be the righteousness of God, that we might be sons and daughters, so that we might be those heirs along with him? May we... With grateful hearts, seek to follow him and we seek to live for him, always remembering who we are and always keeping our eyes on our Savior. Let's pray together. Father, as we leave these words, Lord, I pray that they would not be forgotten, that we wouldn't just leave them and be glad that they're gone, but that we would hide them in our hearts. Lord, the truth is, is that if we're going to live this out, it's only 
through dependence on the Holy Spirit that we can do it. We can't work this up in ourselves. We can't suddenly become more loving towards our enemies the way we want to. But Lord, we have to to live in complete dependence on you. And so I pray that you would help us to do that. Transform our lives. Make us a people that are so different that people can't help but but want to be a part of what we have here. Lord, certainly this is a fine line to walk when we think about judgment and forgiveness because we, we can't just live in sin. We can't let sin go. We have to call it out. But Lord, it is a hard thing to do to judge and to judge in love. Yet that's what you call us to. That's what you have done for us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength and the courage to live this way. But, Lord, even more than that, as we consider these words, we know we fail so often. Uh, So, Lord, show us us ourselves, uh, and, Lord, keep Jesus before our eyes. Help us to fall at his feet, whether it is, is every day, every minute, every second, confessing our sins, confessing our failures, and looking to him for the strength to carry on, for the hope that that is the gospel, the hope that that is eternity with him. Lord, how we thank you, how we praise you for that spotless lamb of God who has taken away the sins of the world. It's in his name we pray. Amen.